Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoYouConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peake. As always, this is episode 196, and Samantha is joining us. Hello. I feel like I should play the award you? music, actually. Hold on. We should. Let me get it. Yes. We have officially moved into our new home. That's right. I love it. And you're like, you're in the underground, like founders club that I think you need to start. I just decided this in this moment. You're like the second or first person in your entire community. We're the second to close, but I believe we're the first ones to actually like live here. And it's a big community, right? Like it's huge. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be huge. Yeah. You should, this is your chance. Is there a Facebook group yet for the community? Um, I think yeah, there's one the for the master plan community, but I don't know if there's one for you could, our section. You could take it over and then <laughs> do something. Oh goodness. That's, that's exciting. We were talking about this before it started. Like there's no lights yet either. Like street lights. Yeah. Like, they're up. They just don't go on. It's yeah. You're in this, that crazy little gray spot where like, like you were talking this morning, like hey, we got the snow got plowed. That's great. But like, you didn't know it was going to happen and make me really nervous. Yeah. We were supposed to put our trash cans out on Monday and I forgot because I didn't know which day was trash day. And I'm like, I don't know if they were going to come or not. So we'll have to test it this next Monday. So you <laughs> moved in Samantha during the builder show week. Is that correct? Uh, we closed. Yeah. On the 10th. And so we moved this past weekend. Okay. So one of the, one of the countdown things, and then we're going to move into story time because we just have to play the music. We're kind of already here. Um, but contractually, the music must be played. <laughs> it's a joke. It's been a, it's been kind of a joke on our team meetings and the marketing. It's like, I'm like, okay, how's, how's the house coming? And you're like, four weeks to go. And I'm like, well, next week when I ask you, hopefully she's going to say three weeks and two weeks. But I didn't get to ask you the week of. So it all worked out. Yep. It all closed. All of everything worked out. And the way you purchased seems to be where builders are moving towards. I think it's interesting. Okay. I feel better there we go. as the, as the quasi producer here, music has <laughs> been played. Yeah. Now it could be an official story time, right? Yeah. All right. Time. Now continue. Samantha, do you have something to talk to us about? <laughs> so, um, moving was fun. Not really. I hate moving. This is our third time in the last little over a year moving. Wow. So we're pros now. Um, so that was fun. And then not having a refrigerator, we get one on Monday. That's been Interesting as well. We've been doing a lot of DoorDash. We've discovered a couple of places across the street from us. So we've gone to this one tavern twice already just because nice. they have good food and beers and nice data. Nice to unwind after moving. So we've yeah. been there a couple of times. And then, yeah, we've been using our garage since it's been snowing. It's been keeping oh, our yeah. garage cold. Have, in, in Colorado, you have a, in the winter, you have a kind of a built-in icebox. Yeah. So outdoor. we've been kind of sticking things out there to keep them cold. My dog um, uses farmer's dog food. So those have to be frozen and refrigerated. So we've been using our garage as a refrigerator, but Monday we'll get our delivery. That's, That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, for those of you who haven't heard the Spencer Raskoff interview, we were talking about prop tech and where things are headed. And one of his comments was that, you know, when it comes to search and discovery for real estate, that, that battle has been fought and Zillow has pretty much won. So, you know, it's not very interesting for a new startup or founder to say, let's go take on Zillow to be the premier 
search portal for real estate at this time. But we were just talking about like when you said moving is not fun, like what is the technological solution to cardboard boxes and friends and pizza or two men in a truck or whatever it is, right? It's, there's no, there's still parts of this, however much technology companies want to talk about, you know, push a button, make magic happen. There's still a bunch of physical things that are hard and annoying, even just the mental energy of uh, relearning how, which light switch turns on what light in this house that we're in now. And the electricians are here doing a bunch of work, cleaning things up. And he's like, well, I, I can fix that when I'll, I'll rewire them for it. I'm like, no, I just learned that it's all backwards. But now if you make it correct, I'm yeah, going to have to relearn again. That's like, funny. it's just, now and it's like an inside joke. I, I know which light funny. switch works and you don't if you're visiting. And I don't know if there is a standard and I've just never seen it, but like, should the light switches be before you're in the room or is it in the room on the left or right side? I'm sure there's like a common thing, but like, I, I couldn't tell you. Well, like, sort of- I know it's a podcast and so no one can see me, but if there's a bank of four switches, yeah. And this is the switch that's closest to the light. It should not be the extreme opposite. Like it, it's just everything, whatever one you think it is in this house, it's the opposite. It's, it's not. <laughs> or which one, like, you know, fortunate they did it right. We're like, which one it's just is a dyslexic which, electrician? It's a I figure. Which, which outlet is controlled by the switch? You know, that that's one that's upside down, all that sort of thing. My quick little story time for this week. I got two of them. There's another house for sale in our neighborhood. And it's interesting. It's the same floor plan as one that I previously talked about except the previous one had terrible pictures. I think I posted in the group. We kind of remember like it was like vertical photos on an iPhone only um, done by someone's grandmother. So it was just awful. This floor plan, same one, this house, same floor plan, but professional photos. And they took community photos. That's all done pending after two days. So like it went up. The other one took like, I think it was 80 days just to actually get a pending uh-huh. offer. So I'm like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> like, And us listening are like, well, yeah, duh. But, but I think we forget like, like, and I think there's, oh geez, there's probably like 50 pictures, um, everything. So it's, yeah, that's, that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one came up, it was a call earlier today. It was just, how do we find more opportunity in Google? And I think Google is tough because say compared to Facebook ads, you put $20 per day or a hundred dollars lifetime budget. That is going to be what happens. You're not thinking like, how do I get more out of Facebook? You just increase the budget. For the most part. Yeah, as if long as you're ad, doing the right strategies yeah, and tactics. If your ads are good. But if you want to get more clicks, like, yeah, just turn the budget up. But Google could be a little more tricky. Um, and then the, for me, it was like, oh, like in my brain, like it's, it's, everything's connected. Like it's, it's not that it's obvious, but it's just, I've been stuck in Google land for so long. Like it's like, you know, back of my hand, but your bids are connected directly to your budget. So your campaigns could show limited by budget, but if your bids are low, it will never show limited by budget because it never hit that threshold. It's mm-hmm. almost it's almost like you're driving your car and the your RPMs are only going, you know, 1,000, 2,000. You're just driving like someone's grandmother, just cruising down the road. But as soon as you step on the gas, cool, then it's gonna start working and it'll start to give you all the all the lights on your campaign. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for more more things out of Google, which might not be right now whatsoever, but say in a couple months and you just happen to remember this, oh yeah, Andrew said the thing about my bids. Yeah. Bids were the first thing to, to jump up to see if you have more. So it's all nuanced and connected. Google should make it simpler for us, but yeah, that they co- won't. Kind of, well, or they're going to make it so simple that they're going to take more and more control take away control from us. Away. That's, I think we don't want that. Yeah. We're trying to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my story time is my first paid speaking gig. I was on Facebook 
this morning and I was reminded that 10 years ago today was the first time I got paid to speak to an audience in home building. So big thank you to the Atlanta SMC and to Carol Morgan in particular, um, who um, invited me to come talk. Uh, I was at the time I was creating an app that I had talked about at the Builders Show in front of a couple hundred people and shown screenshots of the prototypes of what we were doing. And so I think that was the impetus of, hey, why don't you come talk about that? Because she had seen me talk at the show. So I had spoken before, but never paid. And she just threw that out there. And I was like, and we'll, we'll pay you. What is your fee? And I, <laughs> like, I think it was actually an email and I was just stuck. I was like, wait, they're going to pay me to do this. And so I threw out a thousand dollars and, and they were, they said, sure. And I was like, this is incredible. Like I'm now a professional, I'm a professional speaker. Just <laughs> like I, I tease my friend, Jeff Turner. As soon as you get paid to take pictures, you're a professional photographer. There you go. But the fun part of the story is that I completely miscalculated. So, so like anything, the first time you do it, I learned a lot. I was working for Heartland. Um, we had a division that we had, we had bought out a builder developer in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so I, I didn't have all the dates aligned properly. I, I was in Raleigh. So I had to, my original ticket was from Columbus to Atlanta. My boss said, Hey, we got to go to Raleigh. So then I had to transfer the ticket from Raleigh over at the end of the day, between airfare and, um, and a taxi or, or I don't know if Uber was the thing back then, 10 years ago, 10 years. I lost so. money on the deal. I, I ended up paying more <laughs> in like change fees and airline. Uh, cause I didn't know to, to say thousand dollars plus travel. So it was my first paid speaking gig, but I, I definitely lost like a hundred bucks on the, on the total transaction. Oh, man. Those are numbers. The numbers are important. Yeah. Think that through. And real quick on our way to the news, are you not taking contingencies? Open door creates more opportunities by sending customers a preliminary offer within minutes. As a builder sales associate, you can eliminate contingencies by giving your customer an instant home buyer on their current home so that they can unlock the funds they need to buy their new build home with you. You can provide a flexible close date to help customers avoid double moves and mortgages by closing anytime from 14 days up to nine months. Samantha, that would have, right? Just moving is not fun. So anything we can do to simplify that is a good thing. And you can also offer a complimentary two-day late checkout from their current home to help alleviate the stress of moving. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Opendoor. All right, on to the news. First up, Marketproof Marketing Academy. Tickets are on sale now, coming up April 12th through the 14th. This is a virtual session uh, as well. And we will be talking about an in-person session at the end of the year. But for now, just don't worry about it. The virtual yeah, is virtual what's here. Is it's easy. You don't have to travel anywhere. Not, not everywhere is warm in April. You can stay in your warm office. We're going to send you a coffee and analytics mug. It's all good. It's all good. Um, Fun three days. Tickets have always uh, sold out in advance of that. So just link in the show note, go check out Market Marketing Academy to level up uh, your internal skill set on analytics, Google ads, Facebook, and more. Next up, user behavior and SEO from a site that I've never heard of, link-assistant.com. User behavior and SEO, a ranking factor or not? So, yeah, I found this one. So this one, so 
going back one step, they used to have a single product called Link Assistant. And this is, goes way back to when you would like try to buy links and things like that mm -hmm. when you were like gaming the system. So they've been around for forever. And then they decided that's a terrible name. I don't know why they didn't change their domain. Now it's <laughs> SEO Power Suite is a company name and it's all these tools and everything. So SEO company. So it's it definitely a read. Like it's, they market 17 minute read. Like I think you should read this. Um, but the premise is, is they research the patents that Google has mm -hmm. and then they interpret that to say, could this be something they use in the algorithm to influence the search results? And I think if we just think logically about it, so like I read through this thing, it's it's a it's a long in-depth read, but it's it's good. It's broken up in sections, there's little links on it. You know, TikTok is built on user behavior. Like if they took no influence from user behavior for TikTok, TikTok would be terrible. It would not be where it is today. So just and then same with Facebook. So then explain that to Google. People can game the algorithm like 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago with Google, but you cannot game user behavior. Like, cause that you can't fake it. Like people or like can your site. You? or can you with bots or can you, or when they'll catch you and they realize, I don't well, know. I think that that's what's interesting about the article is it, it gives us examples of like someone just telling all their Twitter, Twitter followers to go do a search and do this behavior. So it, I mean, anything can be manipulated. I think can be. But it'd be, it's interesting. So, I, I mean, I'm definitely on the side of like how people interact with your site. It has to have an influence. How much? No one knows. Someone at Google might know. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they don't know that it's broken up so much. But like it is a long read. Go check it. <laughs> Go check it out. Um, Kevin, I'm not sure if if there's anything that stood out to you or, or Samantha. Well, I, I think I think that's the point I was just bringing up is, is one of the subheadings here is if user behavior is a ranking factor, why would Google deny it? And it goes back to their, their controls to make sure that it is happening for real. So like I have heard stories unconfirmed, but stories nonetheless of organizations who sell advertising or marketing services using bots for lack of a better term, or humans just paid really ridiculously low wages to do a series of click actions based upon an ad or an email, et cetera. So not, not for the purposes of Google, just for the purposes of a report looking good, going back to the builder saying, look how many people did this thing after oh. you paid us to make it happen. Now that's sketchy. That's sketchy. But if that, if that, I mean, the fact that that story comes from a, a source that I find to be credible says that if I'm Google at scale, I do not want people doing this if I am using it as a ranking factor. So again, Google hides behind the statement of it's so complicated, no one person can know exactly how this works now. And so they it, they just don't want to talk about it, period. Um, yeah. Like they don't really, it's very rare and, and makes news on Twitter when someone from Google confirms or denies anything related to the algo. Yeah, there used to be... Uh, Matt Cutts, I think his name was, mm -hmm. if you going way back, like that was like the spokesperson for, I forgot his title, but it was, you thought he was in charge of SEO, but he was actually like spam, like was his, I forgot his title name, but it was in regards to spam preventing. And that would be in their mind, if you're trying to game their algorithm for ranking, that is a, that's considered spam, like spam behavior. Um, but I, I did forget. Yeah, that could be possible. Um, was that Amazon Turk, Mechanical Turk? We're getting, mm -hmm. we're getting about the deep, deep in here, but that is essentially how you could get people to do many actions from all over the world or us or wherever. Yeah. I mean, everything's going to get gained by a marketer eventually. Marketers ruin everything. Right? Exactly. Right. <laughs>
Moving on to the next article from marketingprofs.com. Eight alternatives to open triggered email sequences in the age of male privacy protection. Whew. I feel like these first two articles were trying to put you all to sleep. I know. Uh, and even this <laughs> one is official sounding. <laughs> what's interesting about this one is I don't even believe in this as a practice in our industry. So yeah, open triggered email sequences. If, if someone becomes my website, they become a lead and then they come, uh, I send them an email that says, check out our featured floor plan. They click on that link. Now I want my marketing automation software, HubSpot, et cetera, to send out another thing based upon the fact that they opened to, to trigger that activity of fire. Well, since mail privacy protection was rolled out with Apple mail, remember it, it it's either going to show that everything's been opened or nothing's been opened when it goes to an Apple device, uh, just to kind of mess with, with marketers' ability to track that. This article is just talking about different ways to continue on. So this is really me just trying to be not open-minded, but just equal playing time here. If you're big into marketing automation because you think that's necessary, this article's for you. Just wanted to put that out there at the beginning. I don't know that I've ever still, I would put this out there. I've never seen marketing automation move the needle significantly towards trackable sale increases in sales volume. There's better tactics to do it than, than automation, but I know everyone is being asked to do more. So it exists. So we'll do just you think we'll, that's, do you think other industries see success and then they try to blend it over to home building and we're just not the same. Yeah. Like well, we truly are so different than every other market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we are both in terms of the amount of time in the consideration set uh, the complexity of the purchase, the impetus for why someone would be considering something. Like if I type in a serial number or a particular type of snowblower, I'm probably not looking at it to tell my wife, this is the one I don't like. It's just not like even just the, the co-shopping behavior, the, the amount of detail. Um, like by the time I get to a particular manufacturer's site, and I'm looking at snowblowers, I've gone through a whole portion of the funnel that, or anyway, yeah, there's just e-commerce products that are lower price point or bought more frequently. All those things um, are dramatically different than the customer journey. And we have no impulsive. I mean, there could be impulsive home buyers, but like, it's very difficult to be impulsive. <laughs> like, oh yeah, let me go get pre-qualified real quick. That's not like two seconds later. Hopefully well, it could be. And soon. I go back to my three outlines of the, of, a, a general summary of the home buyer experience in the research phase, you're going to start sending me all this stuff based upon my research activity, which is me learning, not true intent to purchase necessarily, or even actively shopping. Like if I'm, if I, if I go on your site and I'm just looking at the photo gallery to get an idea of the kinds of homes you build, if you, and people do this all the time, they're like, well, I'm going to see what the, the, the three pictures they spent the most time on and I'm going to build an automation tool to send them an email with those three pictures in it. O okay. But I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still yeah. three months away from, from, from being in a point where that really is going to make sense. Or that's great. I just went to your site for, for two minutes to figure out if you made my shortlist and I'll be back later to actually do the shopping phase. I just don't think we have to guess as much. The, the customer is more willing to tell us how they're progressing through that journey if we're listening um, and, and allowing accounts to be created where we can create favorites and curate and 
and do more of that activity um, and just openly share it with the builder. This is, this is the kind of home I want. Um, we don't have to guess in the same way. Anyway, back to if you, if you love all this stuff, I just thought these were interesting. Number one was a way around this is to just go ahead and send the full journey sequence. So, you know, you might have eight things and you say only send the next one when they open the first one or the second one. They're saying, no, just go ahead and time it out and send the whole thing, but just prioritize the opt out to make it easier for someone to say, I don't need this anymore because my journey has stopped either because I successfully purchased or because I'm no longer interested, but just go ahead and send the whole, whole dang thing. I think that's an interesting idea using clicks to accelerate a full journey progression. That's a little bit, you know, basically clicks on the site versus clicks in the email. So not open rate, but click through rates, which we still can get more data from, but you're going to have less of those than opens. So that's, that's the con there's again, there's more down here, but I think those are the the ones that are the most interesting. Yeah. Anything else here? Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that. Like we just, we, yeah. When people need to move, they need to move when they want to buy There's, I don't know. We can't, what am I trying to say? We can't market someone to buy a home. I think, we could. I say that in one breath. Another side, I'm like, well, we kind of can. Um, some people are able to do such things, but most people are not in a position to just say, yeah, we're going to buy a new house because we want to buy a new house. I think we know very few people like that. There's always some other reason or some other benefit that would, if that benefit wasn't there, they would probably not make a change whatsoever. Like, oh, the schools are, we're closer to this, we're closer to that, we're farther from this, so this way we want to be. But I don't think the emails are going to be like, oh, look, we got more incremental sales because we set this up. Yeah. No. If, if anything, I just, if, if this is an article that you feel like you need in your life, then I, I somewhat feel sorry for you, <laughs> but it's there for those of you who need it. All right. Moving oh, on man. from our friends at Zillow, 75% of recent home buyers have regrets about their new home. A less frenzied spring market could ease buyers' remorse by giving shoppers more time to weigh their options. The top regret cited by recent buyers is purchasing a home that needs more work or maintenance than expected. Hmm. Nearly three quarters of successful buyers wish they had done at least one thing differently. Nearly 40% wish they had taken more time searching for a home or weighing their options. Most recent home home shoppers face buyer burnout, pausing their home search at least once during the process as well. So, First, over to you, Samantha. You've been in your new house for not that long now. Uh, any regrets? No regrets. I think it's funny because this article was like, oh, um, people don't like their location or the size of their home. And our house right now, it's where it's just me and my fiance. So we have a three-bedroom house that's too big for us. So I don't feel like my house is too small. <laughs> Are there things you would do differently? That's not yet. Yeah, nearly three quarters of successful buyers wish they had done at least one thing differently. Not new home buyers, but so it's just buyers. No, I don't think I would do anything differently. Maybe I guess the extra costs that you kind of don't think about when you buy a house, like window coverings, we have to purchase, I have mm-hmm. to get a refrigerator, washer, dryer. We'll have to landscape our side yard. So those kind up. of additional costs are things that you don't really think about until after you're done closing. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, 31% said they regretted buying a home that is too small. Hmm. Like I I can understand the not knowing how much maintenance or work is going to go into a project because we tend to only, anytime we look at any project, uh, I think this is, uh, hmm, I'm trying to think who I'm I'm borrowing this quote from, but 
we only see roughly one third of what's actually involved in getting that done. So we we underestimate the amount of time investment or money investment that's going to be needed to, to, to get it to completion. So that was not as surprising at 32% saying that, but the home is too small. Does that mean people are just getting really good staging companies to make their home look, or we're just... If, if I had to yeah. guess, it's uh, price point. Price, price is going higher and what fits their budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, but they needed yeah. to move, like, or they were, they had to renew their lease, but the lease went up $600 a month. And we're like, well, we could buy right now and our mortgage would be what our rent used to be. So let's just go ahead and buy. But- yeah. And again, it's the justification factor of, well, you know, it's, it's, it's cozy. Like, I mean, yeah, it's small, honey, but we, we, we love each other or yeah. <laughs> we're going to get a twin bed next. It's great. Like I don't mind parking my car in the driveway. You can just park yours in the, in the one car garage. That's fine. And then winter hits and ah. playing Tetris with your, with your driveway. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting. I'm sure they have this, what like through the years, what this buyer regret percentage. Yeah. How much like. is that I know they impacted have it, yeah. by the, by the, cause there has to always be buyer's remorse of some sorts. Mm-hmm. It's just like, what, what is that? Cause I'm sure at some point they'll be like, I bought a home that was too, too large. Um, I think uh, the quote here is interesting too. Buyers can get distracted by a pretty kitchen or a great staging when they should concentrate instead on the home's two biggest factors, its location and, and layout. It's pretty tough to change both of those. It's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. It can't change location. That's for sure. Yeah. It's not moving. Layout, knock down some walls. That's yeah. Layout would be our regret with our, our floor plan with our builder. And, but we're looking to remedy that by changing our staircase, which I don't know anyone who's ever done that project wow. before. That's yeah. a project. That is a project. And the whole house like, is built around the staircase. At least that's what, how, when I was, when I was taught this, it was like the first thing you do, son, is after you draw the outside, you where am I putting the stairs and the rest of the house falls into place from that. So yeah, I'm like, I don't know anyone who's changed their staircase ever. It's just, yeah, without distracting us with that, like it is, it separates the bottom floor. And if we're entertaining, no one goes past the staircase. I'm like, we're using a quarter of the house. It's Mm -hmm. only half of the bottom floor. Yeah. It's strange thing, but it'll add shelf life to our home essentially because (laughs) our home will be larger. Yeah. It'll feel larger. It'll feel larger, more usable. All right. Next up, the world is panicking because Amazon is getting into real estate. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not Amazon. (laughs) This is from fortune.com. Disney is getting into the real estate business and will develop their own residential communities. The first community will be developed in Rancho Mirage, California. It says the the Magic Kingdom is building some new hamlets. Disney has launched a new business that puts the entertainment giant in the thick of the red hot real estate market, developing residential communities for its most avid fans. Story Living by Disney will create master plan neighborhoods designed by the company's Imagineers. So I'm moving. Here's the thing. This is not something new. Disney has gotten in and out of real estate multiple times over the last uh, 30, 40 years. There was the Celebration, which is the master plan community that's the most famous and still visited by people thinking about building their own master plan community. But it is, it's not become what it was originally envisioned to be. It's still beautiful and and a nice place to live, but here's the problem. And it's a little bit like we talked about bankers in New York city, not fully understanding that just because the spreadsheet says this project will, will work. Then you have to go put pipes in the ground, get township approvals, all these other complicated things. They're like, this is, this is harder than I thought. Um, Disney as a brand 
has such a high bar. It's kind of like the ride. If we want to talk about it briefly for a moment. Uh, so I'm a big star Wars fan have been since I've, I was born. There you go. Yeah. I am not going to the new Disney hotel that is star Wars themed. It's yeah. two full days and immersive experience because I know as excited as I was when it was first announced about the concept of it, they are not going to be able to deliver the promise of a unique immersive experience that is for each person staying at that resort. It's impossible. You cannot, you can't accomplish that um, with the way that they're setting it up to be a, to, to be a win. And that's what every time Disney has gotten involved in real estate, it is, no, this is not just a new home. This is a new home by Disney. And it's the whole thing is going to be like a ride and the whole experience will be at this certain level. And then you get this rush of people who buy in and either Disney isn't able to maintain it over time because they lose interest, uh, because they partner with other companies to, to be able to pull these things off and they can't deliver. So they're the master plan developer. That's great. But now, you know, Builder X is going to be the one putting your home together. And the joke at Orlando for well, Disney World is they chose that because they can control the weather there and make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's under Disney's control. Disney can't control when your garage doors don't show up. And, and that's the type of experience you're hoping for this magic. So this is all, I, I just think this is interesting through getting back in the game. Also, coincidentally, anytime they've gotten involved in real estate, the rest of their business is not doing as well. It's kind of a quick grab of cash and investment. Um, and we're, we're going to get involved in this other thing that's not part of our core business. And so usually a new CEO or new set of board members come in and say, why are we doing this again? Because this is not, not our core competency. So on the one hand, I'm excited because, I mean, heck, if they can pull this off and, and do it, it, it would be amazing. I yeah. just, I'm, I'm really skeptical that they're I'm trying going to think to what it would look like just envisioning, like, let's say I live in a Disney master plan community right now. I get done with work. The kids are home. They got home like right before the podcast started. We then go outside. It's February in Florida. This is the only time you should visit January, February, March. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? Like, what's my Disney experience living here? I have no idea. Unless I'm like, my mind, I'm going crazy here. Unless we are like next to Disney World, Magic Kingdom in Orlando. And we could like special owner entrance or there's the monorail attaches to our 5,000 home community or like they clean the streets and they're doing like the pressure washer thing on the scraping up gum and they put Mickey Mouse's ears in front of our driveway and the kids are like, oh, this is great. But then you, you don't really want that. That sounds terrible. <laughs> like that's your home. Like get out of here. I just don't know what it would be. And if you want the resort amenities, like there's plenty of other builders that are not Disney that have done done that extremely well pools and amenities and tennis courts, all those sorts of things. Like what, I just don't know what they could do differently. That is, is like you say, that is sustainable and is not extremely expensive and it's still a Disney level experience, unless you are like almost living within the park because you're next to the park. They just could share employees almost as far as they're not contracting out that work to someone else. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm with you. I think it'd be disappointing. Like the bar is so high with them. They, they can never meet it. Mm -hmm. What will they do? But they do own, I think it's like 30 something thousand acres in, in Florida over this way. So who knows? Maybe they could. Yeah, and, cool. and they were able to pull off something I've never been, but people say Disney cruises are, are better than the average cruise. So I think if they're able like to communicate that as like, yeah. 
you're not going to live in Cinderella's castle and have a Shoot. butler and whatever for, you know, the $2 a month or $2 a day HOA fee that we charge. But if they can somehow get, cause that's really, to me, when I hear someone talk about Disney cruise, they're like, it's like cruising, but better. And that's, that's very different than like, saying we're going to bring Walt mean? Disney world to a cruise ship to, to someone who's never been cruising. And that's, yep. I just think the comparison or the expectation setting gets out of whack. Now they do have a, a project called golden, golden Oak, which is right behind Walt Disney world. It's oh, 450, well, 450 luxury custom homes. And, and the, the oh. thing there is it is on property. So you are, you What's are the price point of those. So 1.8 1. to 7 million, each individual in home had to be yeah. approved by the HOA, but or you could live on the beach, like on the sand. But they so have had other joint ventures, so to speak, that have gone terribly wrong. If you want to do some research, you can hear more about that. So hmm. I'm sure there'll be something we can learn from this. It'd be fun to follow. But I, I Rancho not... Mirage was an interesting area to choose. It's Why is like, that? Well, my grandma lives there and um, it's First just reason. outside of Palm Springs. So it's like mm-hmm. okay. an older community, a lot of golf courses. I just think of retirement homes. So to bring Disney to that area is just kind of weird to me just because I think of my grandma and my grandma's not a Disney person. Right. And then you're is like an the, hour and a half away from Disneyland, I think hour, you, two hours. Maybe? You think the play okay. there then is maybe my grandkids will come and see me because we're going to trick them. Huh. Like they're going to see that grandma lives in a Disney themed master plan community and think they're coming to, to Walt Disneyland. Possibly. I mean, I know that I think it said that only a section of the homes will be 55 plus. Most of them are open to all ages, but mm. I don't know. I feel, I just think of retirement community when I think of that area. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's just yeah. me because grandma lives there. Maybe they could tie in like Disney theme park exclusives. Like somehow if it's large enough, like they have the Dole Whip, they have the different like down mm-hmm. here. I'm sure they have it in Disneyland, but yeah. Disney World, they have like the Joffrey's coffees. They have this peach tea. There are certain things that are like, you do the hashtags and you're like, why is there 5,000 pictures a day of the, this Dole Whip stuff? But you could only get it at Disney World. Yeah, Disneyland. that'd be nice if they brought that to the But then TV. you're like, do you just want, su- are you only attracting super fans of Disney? That's not enough. By the way, like, for those of you who have had a Dole Whip, they are, they are great if you like pineapple. Um, Kennywood like is a is not a Disney park, but it is a, an amusement park in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, they, they no, not Kennywood. It's the other one. It's just for kids. It's the largest kids only amusement park in North America. It's called Idlewild. Um, they sell something like a Dole Whip, but get this: they legit just take soft serve ice cream and pour the juice out of a pineapple can on it in front of you. In they just open you, oh. up the can and pour See, it in. There's no magic in that. Did not. <laughs> no magic in that whatsoever. It was terrible. Here's your, here's your Dole Whip. Not, and that's what Disney does. They do that a lot better. They uh-huh. they hide their... You don't want to see how the sausage is made at Disney World. It's right. made somewhere. They hide it. Exactly. All right. Next up, uh, we, we've done many kind of quick reviews of Super Bowl ads in the past, but this time instead... Just think to yourself, if you saw them, what, which one do you think was the most interesting? I actually haven't watched any of them, but the one that definitely got the most conversation going that I saw was around Coinbase's uh, Super Bowl ad. Did any of you guys see it or have you watched it? I, can no. I can, there's like 10 people that would be like, I'm with you, Mr. Ad Doctor. I did not watch the Super Bowl. 
like what like I did not watch it. I did not go and watch the commercials, but I did hear all about this. Ad. I only watched the last couple minutes of the of the actual game. I googled the next day who won the Super Bowl, <laughs> and I'm from <laughs> Ohio, I it. so I should have been watching watch the Bengals it. the whole time. But yeah. I just didn't go think Rams. they were going to do it. Y'all go Rams, Samantha. <laughs> all right, I have to go sports. So. Yeah. Uh, The minute-long Coinbase Super Bowl commercial featured a colorful QR code floating around the screen, mimicking the bouncing DVD logo often seen in the early 2000s. Viewers who scanned the code were brought to a link that offered $15 in free Bitcoin. What is that? 0.012% of a Bitcoin? Oh, not even that. (laughs) Who created an account with Coinbase before February 15th and entered participants in a $3 million giveaway. The final few seconds of the commercial revealed that the ad was for Coinbase. So... Just a little floating QR code uh, on the screen. Which and who has a, yeah. Who has a, who even has a DVD player anymore that would bounce it around? Like this was definitely like, I now feel like I'm in the age group of the, the, the target audience. Oh, the, whole, the, Super, the whole Super Bowl was, was yeah, like everything was based and 40s. around. I'm like, that's me now. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is obviously the results from this. And again, we don't trust anything that someone from a particular company says it's not verified, but Coinbase chief product officer tweeted Sunday evening that the company had witnessed more traffic than it ever encountered. Okay. So that's one of those statements is like, what does that mean? (laughs) Maybe you just suck at marketing. It's like the price is right. One more Uh, than last week. We success. It is more. He said that Coinbase had to throttle back traffic to the website for a few minutes, but noted the operations were back up and running. Okay. Now here's an actual number. The company's landing page saw more than 20 million hits in less than a minute. That's pretty and good. Watch this Super Bowl. Is that? Well, I mean, it's however they measure that. Devices connected, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But you might have 20 people at, at one home or five people or. 50. Yeah, I don't think they care. I think they're just talking it about. I mean, uh, it's a lot. I, I like, want to be jaded too, but I think 20 million in a minute, that's not in totality. It was just during the minute, yeah. uh, right around that. Seems um, reasonable to me. Like, I. That seems pretty awesome. And this is why, you know, a lot of people continue to argue that Super Bowl ads are worth the price of admission because you are paying for that attention of not Andrew uh, yeah. and and not much of Kevin, but a lot of people are watching the Super Bowl. Well, then this, I think cryptocurrency for a lot of people is still this obscure, like untrustworthy type of thing. And they're like, if this company paid for a Super Bowl ad, like, I don't know. That seems pretty legit to me. Like as far as someone trying to rationalize, like maybe this turns them from they're curious or they're like, they don't believe. And now that's like, Oh, hmm, this could be real. Like, and they're going to give us 15 bucks. I might as well start this thing up. Like, why not? I'm not going to lose any money on it. Yeah. So I'd be interesting to see how many signups they had. And then like, I, they have all these numbers, which I would love. Like, there's no way for us to ever get this, but like how many signups from the Super Bowl Cause it, it was, I think it was like drop dot coinbase.com that had a certain URL mm-hmm. yeah. sign them through there. And then how many people actually invested X amount? How many did all these certain actions that then turn into revenue on their other end? Like it's, I'm sure it's easy to be like, they were profitable even with the $15 like giveaway. Yeah. And Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think, I think it was a certain kind of genius. It's one of those things that other people would, it would not be a good look to try to copy that exactly. But when everyone else is focused on making the funniest, most memorable, most viral shared from a visual and storytelling element, it, it kind of is fun to be like, mm, performance marketer. 
<laughs> 20 million QR hits code. in an hour yeah, like, in a minute. Um, QR code is back, which is like only because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like that's the only reason it came back. Yep. Yep. That's crazy. Uh, I know Will Duderstedt's a big fan. In fact, I think I heard him. He's giving a talk sometime soon about how 90% of his advertising is going into QR codes soon. This is just a check to see if he still listens. Uh, just kidding, buddy. I'll see you at breakfast. He he's not he's not don't quote him on that. Um, That's funny. All right, now quick quick alert. Just we are going to talk metaverse about time. the we're going to talk about the metaverse. I am oh, no. setting I am setting the clock because I know there's some of you who are like just I don't want to hear about it. This is stupid. No oh, more than three man. minutes. But this, this is, is a good article, though, I think. I really like this article because yes. uh, the, the title from entrepreneur.com, No Deal, Why Growing Metaverse Real Estate Buzz Could Set the Whole Space Back. And essentially what he's saying is um, property in the interwebs is not the same as property, physical property in the real world in terms of what, what is likely to drive value over time. For example... If I live next to, who would I want to live? In? Gar- Garth Brooks is my neighbor. There you go. Okay. Uh, th- there's some intrinsic value of being physically close to Garth. Like I might see him as, he, or I might see his butler as his butler goes to take the trash out for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so, so circumstance might might allow me to have more interactions with him if I'm physically closer. Uh, Garth Brooks makes a lot of money. I think he still sold more albums than anyone else in history. And so it's crazy. If he's living there, he's probably going to maintain it. He's going to improve the value of the property over time. There's lots of things about physical property that would say, um, obviously it's location, location, location. Whereas in a, in a digital world, like, are you really going to hang out in a, in a digital place and, and just look at what's around you and think I'll mosey on over there. Or are you going to just say, this is where I want to go. And you're there. <laughs> and that's what I envision a metaverse as is like, I want to do go to this place and it's instant, or there is the Super Bowl metaverse ticket. That's not $35,000 and you get, and it's like this combination of real world and metaverse world, whatever that would be. And you do get like, more exclusive access to content or, or whatever, like halftime show you're like somehow placed on the field, whatever it may be, but like, it's some true benefit, but the accessibility for everyone is there. Maybe that's my like weird thing. I'm like, if you can only like to talk about like the view of central park, if you have to have one, like if it mimics the real world, you can only view central park from the hundred floor on this building. If you bought it for 7 million, I'm like, Oh, that's so like anti, like, I, I don't like that. Like, whatever that means, who cares what I think? But like, I don't like that principle. Like that is a down, like that's a- Well, that's it doesn't, I, I'll be able to hang up any piece of visual art that I want to in my metaverse home, should I get there? It just doesn't, that, now there will only be one true one because of the blockchain uh, or the, yep. the, the real, who, who has ownership of it, but I can still display it. Uh, so this is the paragraph that really, I think boils it down is, Shelter as a need doesn't translate to the metaverse. There is no cause to have a roof over a digital avatar's head and no possible way that binary code can provide an individual with shelter, making the metaverse real estate craze markedly different than traditional real estate. There is not and should not be a way to privatize a metaverse's view to what you were just talking about, Andrew. Not Mm -hmm. everyone in New York can look out their window and see an unobstructed view of Central Park. 
but anyone can in the metaverse. Yeah. I'm not having a house in the metaverse. I'll be middle of the road. Like what's Andrew doing there? doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And then there's just the physical nature of, you know, unless you're uh, China or United Arab Emirates, we're not making any more land. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to do. Uh, it requires right. volcanoes or giant land movers and tons of excess dirt from somewhere. Like uh, whereas no matter what someone is telling you on a platform about there's only a limited number of availability, it's because it's artificially being limited. It's not a real yes. limitation. That means at any time it can change. Yeah, that means that makes you nervous as if you were like, I will invest. Yeah. But at any moment, who's setting the rules? Now, having said all this, Samantha, do you own any digital real estate? I do not. No. I actually heard someone the other day say that they thought that digital real estate should should make up at least one to two percent of every person's individual um, investment holdings. And I was just <laughs> like, "What? What are we talking about?" You're like, what, what do you mean? I could say, like, Crazy. to me, I, uh, maybe this is. I'd rather be a domain investor than than buy a metaverse, like, because that. Yeah, I know there's liquidity there and there is so, value there. If you would like to come on the podcast and argue a counterpoint and set us straight and talk about this, we'll have to do it as a special bonus episode because there are those people who are just <laughs> don't want to hear about the metaverse, but uh, would love to have you on and, and we'll chat about it. All right. On to this week's question of the week. Uh, we asked it back uh, earlier in February. Many builders I'm speaking with don't report that consumers are referencing interest rate increases or expressing much, expressing much concern about it at all. What are you seeing in your market? And this is really driven by right now, if I go into Google and type in 30-year fixed mortgage, Columbus, Ohio, or Ohio, it shows that the average for a 720 credit score is 4.4%. I know rising. other people are yeah. getting... Mm -hmm. Pricing right now around 3.9, 3.8 with really good credit scores and significant amount down. But the expectation would be that people would be more concerned than it seems like they are. So the way it ended up being is that um, just about 40% of you said no one's really talking about it at all. Um, Laura OMB added, and then um, another 30% of people voted for, we were hearing it a lot with people urgent to lock in their rates who are under construction. Um, so they want a solid closing date so they can lock in uh, that lower rate right now. And then um, about another 20% said that online sales is hearing it on their end uh, a little bit at the beginning part of the of the journey. So I, I just thought that was um, an interesting breakout. Uh, John Williams uh, from Visionary says, weirdly, it's not a concern for us yet. Low inventory, I think, is our market blinds home buyers initially to have that concern. High prices and low inventory are mostly what we hear more so than interest rates. Every news station in Utah negatively reports about these items and drives a consumer perception and fear. Super annoying. Super. Uh, Chelsea Kidden says, I'm hearing more and more of it. We are in the Oklahoma City metro market. Yeah, all oh, that makes sense. I mean, you still, rent, rent rent rate, like we talked, I said earlier, like lease comes up renewal, that's going up. So everything's going up. So you still have to, you're still comparing it to, well, what's my other option I'm renting right now? Or I think where it will affect more people is like they already had a mortgage, but when do they get their mortgage to sell their home? Like I, it'd be interesting if there is even data, like what percent of mortgage holders are in the, like the low, low, low rates, like two point whatever to like low threes. Like, is that 15% of homeowners or are most people actually around four? So if they're going from four to four, yeah, I don't, oh, yeah, I don't remember cares? offhand the exact number, but I think Ivy Zellman um, was talking about the fact that 
um, over 70% of people have an interest rate now below uh, 3.75%. So, but because that interest rate is so low, a lot of people are just looking at their existing home and saying, why would I sell it? I'll cash out the equity. I'll put that money down on the new house and I'll just rent out the other one. And, and so I've also seen research showing that up to 20% of the homes that would go on the market are not right now because people are basically becoming, they're, they're playing monopoly in real life now, even though they never thought of themselves as a real estate investor. They're just like, well, we won't, we'll keep our existing house. Uh, because the payment is so low in comparison to what it used to be. Samantha, you don't need to give us numbers at all, but in comparison to your rent rent payment that you were paying, how much like roughly percentage-wise or however you want to describe it, is is your payment significantly more or less than than what you're paying in rent for your house? It's about it's almost a thousand dollars more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's significant. we were worried about our interest rate locking it in. We were definitely in that category. Uh-huh. And had we gotten our closing date just a couple of days earlier, our interest rate would have been a little bit lower, but uh-huh. we're happy with what we locked in. And we were it was definitely a big concern. And we were worried about being able to afford our monthly payment if our interest rate had gone up anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. I'm I'm still surprised we're not hearing more about it. But for now, simply having availability and a move-in date is seems to be more important to customers than uh, than the interest rate that they're paying as a whole. All right, that'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.